You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Jeff Vandermeer. His newest book is Monstrous Creatures. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Jeff, let's talk a little bit about monsters because it's something I I really enjoy. Uh, one of the things I, I liked about your spin on monsters is that they're not necessarily hideous or grotesque. And I'm wondering if if you would talk about your process of creating monsters. Well, first of all, um, I think that the physicality is really, really important. People talk about a lot about the symbolism of monsters and and how they're a metaphor for other things, but for me, it's the tactile experience of creating the thing that that is most important. And I think that comes out of the fact that I'm fascinated in the real world with with creatures that seem somewhat monstrous. And so I want first to get the natural history right, if that makes any sense, and the tactile detail. I don't want a bear to stand in front of you that you're first thinking, oh, this is a symbol of my father. I would prefer that you think it's, oh, this thing that about is about to tear me apart. Um, <laughs> and then we can get to the other stuff. <laughs> so that's really the way I approach it. And then also, I think monsters are, are, are they have a certain amount of powerfulness and a larger than life quality that, that we find interesting. The flaws that they have sometimes are, are kinds of the flaws we see in ourselves magnified. Um, I think it's a different thing than saying something that's evil. I mean, something I don't see monsters necessarily as, by definition, an evil thing. Even in something like Frankenstein, you see the ambiguity there of the, 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 the problem with context. The, 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 the monster itself is not really all that malevolent in any way, shape, or form. It's just simply that he's interpreted as such. Um, and that actually parallels to the natural world. I mean, we have shark weeks, we have all these things that kind of like demonize <laughs> what we consider monsters when they're just fulfilling their natural function. And that actually kind of bleeds into my fiction, I think. One of the things I like uh, about your fiction is the acute, your ability to acutely dissect people's psychological states. And I think there's something of monstrousness in that as well, that the way our minds are put together is itself monstrous. Yeah, I, I think that's that's why it's hard for me to believe in... I, mean, I know that absolute evil exists, but it's hard for me to believe in that because I can always see the other option. I mean, part of what being a writer is is to inhabit other, other characters, other people, other creatures, whatever it is, and understand them. Um, and so even something that seems malevolent... I mean, for example, The Thing is a great example. Uh, that the interpretation of that movie or that story is that there are these heroic people who are withstanding this alien invasion. From the creature's point of view, it is this thing that has kind of been shipwrecked on an alien world and is just trying to get do the best it can to survive and possibly maybe get the heck out of there. <laughs> um, so <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's monstrous of me to see that point of view, <laughs> um, but sometimes that does also inhabit my fiction. Well, too, I was just thinking that in the human body itself when you look at a person they look fine when you cut them open they look you can see all the kind of the lumps and i think when you dissect a person's psychology whether it's good or evil just seeing that different stir of motivations what goes on beneath um our actions and our words is kind of creepy and and monstrous in a way i think it's in is what the proportion is <laughs> you know what i'm saying and some reason that some sometimes why we like monsters i think is because they represent things that we 
would like to do or reactions we would like to have, um, but on a scale that or, or in a context that's okay to say that you appreciate it or you like it. Um, but people are also very consistently inconsistent. I mean, I'm not the same person if I don't have a cup of coffee in the morning. And my reactions to things may be more monstrous as a result. <laughs> uh, one of the things that interests me is uh, your, in- your interest in the steampunk uh, movement. Um, it, could you talk about why that kind of uh, biomechanical uh, retro science fiction interests you? Well, I think that the biomechanical thing is interesting to me because sometimes I see it as an attempt to reconcile these two unreconcilable things. We're in this kind of um, post-capitalist society now, this kind of post-industrial society where in many ways machines have made our lives better, but they've also made them much worse and maybe they've created a system when it's not sustainable. And uh, so sometimes I think this, that when we see artists who are doing this, especially contemporary artists, they're t- trying to reconcile these worlds that are so separate now that sometimes you could almost, there's certain people who maybe never interact with the natural world on a, on a daily basis. Um, and so I think that we still have a fascination with it, but in order for it to kind of fit in with where we are in our modern lives, we, we kind of feel like we have to transform it too. Um, so, so that's one, one thing that I've been thinking about. But with regard to steampunk generally, we kind of fell into it because we did the new weird anthology. Tachyon asked us if you know, we would do another anthology. We looked around. We thought, well, steampunk looks like an interesting thing to do. It's, it, when we do anthologies, it's kind of like a problem to be solved. You know, what, what will be the most interesting mix? You know, how does this stuff fit together? What is it trying to do? And at the same time, this article came out in the New York Times about steampunk. And suddenly this anthology was the hottest thing out there. Um, and so that's how we got into steampunk. It was kind of just, we got into it, it as the next anthology we were going to do, and then it became very, um, very popular. And um, as a result, we w- were invited to steampunk conventions. We got to see all of these parts of it that are not connected to the fiction, um, the art, the fashion, um, uh, the music. And we realized it was many different types of things. And so at that point, even though we weren't planning on doing a second steampunk anthology, we thought, well, if we can include some of the art impulse we're seeing, if we can find enough stories from the last 10 years that are interesting and have done something to update you know, what, what's in the classics, um, then we'll do another anthology. And we, we did, and we did steampunk, we loaded. At the same time, this opportunity came up to do the steampunk Bible, which was even more interesting because it incorporated all of these different um, things, from the making to the fashion to whatever. And uh, so at that point, I was able to indulge in the mecha, <laughs> the mecha animal stuff because that's what a lot of the art is. <laughs> so it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's steampunk, but it's also <laughs> this particular um, obsession I have <laughs> with mechanical animals. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that interests me, I think, about steampunk and that makes it interesting is that because it's somewhat sometimes set in the past, we see this kind of uh, visions of the past and I was just thinking that in 2001, in theory, you should have been able to read the novel 2001, written back in 1969, as a contemporary novel, which you couldn't. (laughs) Contemporary novel of manners. But I think that's there's something in there about that makes me think that that's some of the draw of steampunk too. Well, I mean, I do think that it's a def- it was definitely a form of um, alternative history science fiction. Um, it, it, the thing that I think that appeals to people, to writers, is the fact that it can be used for so many different things. There is escapist steampunk, but there's also steampunk that uses it as a critique of colonialism and things like that. Um, it just it be, it's become a toolbox that 
has for readers the end of this incredibly interesting looking retro technology and then writers or, or artists can do something with it that is sometimes more subversive. So I think that's how it appeals. I mean you have Steampunk Magazine which is run by a bunch of anarchists who are very progressive and do-it-yourself individuals who are still drawn to something in that aesthetic partly because they're drawn to the idea of technology you can actually kind of make or fix yourself. Um, and whether it's actually true that you could fix or make some of these things, there's the idea that you could more so than this kind of seamless technology you see today. So that's the impulse that I see. You're going into e-publishing, and I think that's a really interesting venture. Um, and it seems it's becoming creeping in and becoming more accepted by the mainstream uh, literary culture. So I'm curious, um, when did you make this decision? I feel like I've come late to it because it wasn't until I had time to think from all the projects we've just done uh, early this year that I began to think seriously about ebooks because I'm really drawn to the book as artifact. But the fact of the matter is there's definitely a, a, a demand out there for ebooks. And the, the, the main problem to be solved is I see all these writers just frantically trying to get their books or stories up on, in e form so people can buy them. And I think that it's a more complex question than that. It's like, how exactly do you enter the market? How exactly do you present the material? What is it you're presenting beyond the ebook itself? And so those questions were interesting to me. And once I had those interesting questions, I became more excited about e-publishing, even though I love physical books. And then when I realized that more and more I'm t we're tending towards projects in terms of physical books that have the kind of art in them that you can't yet really do effectively in ebooks a lot of the time, I realized it's really not competing with those other projects. It's just a supplement to them. And so the key is to find what things work best in the ebook form, what are best in the physical book form, and uh, just explore the opportunities. So that's what we're doing. This is the kind of discovery phase. And I'm pretty much ignoring all the advice out there and just putting out different kinds of hypotheses in the form of books in, e in the e-market. And we'll just analyze how they all do, why they did well or didn't do well, and then we'll form our opinions of how to go forward with it. I've been speaking with Jeff Vandermeer. His newest book is Monstrous Creatures. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me. That was great. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.